Welcome to Out of Game episode 27. In today's episode, we answer six listener questions, introduce Tim's new segment, and discuss our ideas on how to bring relevance back to your friendly local game store. This is your host, Ryan. Join me, Chris, and Tim as we go out of game. Welcome to episode 27 of Out of Game. 27. This is Ryan. This is Chris. And this is Tim. And still a podcast about board games. Board games. Board games. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about ideas for making your friendly local game store relevant. It's a fascinating topic. For modern board gamers. Nice. Can't wait. It's like for the metro sexual. You guys are making it sound like they shouldn't even listen. No, it's all, no. no. I, I can't, I'm excited. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a lot of things to say on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna show Chris that this is a good topic for it us to is. discuss. Because actually, a lot of you put this as a topic in our contest. And so we're, we're gonna delve. We're, we're gonna do some delving. We're gonna jump into it. We're gonna Sleeves make you like up. a dwarf digging for coal. Oh yeah. By the end of this episode, you're gonna be imagining this perfect game store that you wish was in your neighborhood that you could go play games at. Whereas right now you're probably thinking of like this troll cave. Yeah, we're talking about a shining light on a hill. That's right. But before we talk about that, we have to jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. So, Chris, what are you spawn pointing today? Camel up. Oh. Camel up. This is one of the goofiest games ever. Yeah. And very uh, Chinese fire drillish, random factor. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Huh. Mm, Why do you like it? What's the I DAR rating? The DAR rating is low, but I think <laughs> I think low. the reason so DAR doesn't necessarily equate to a bad game. I think when you have a low DAR rating, and by the way, just to remind everybody DAR rating. Decisions affect results. That's right. Rating. So it's kind of the opposite of the random factor. It's with the decisions you make affecting the game outcome, which in Camel Up. I mean, it's mm. you're watching these camels that are randomly mm. moving around. Not a lot of decisions, right? Nah. But I think the key thing is, as you go along with this game, when you know it for what it is, yeah, it's just kind of a silly game. Yes. You don't take it too seriously. It's a lot of fun. The factor that I have with these random games that drive me crazy sometimes is when people take them too seriously. You know, like, oh, man, I, I dominated in Cult Express today. You know, I just, you know, I, I my moves, like, you know, come on. I mean... Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. you really? So in this Camel Up game, it's so obvious that you're betting on these pretend camels going around the track, and, you know, it's silly. I just loved it. It was just mindless fun. Nice. Just to see what would happen. They're, like, hopping on each other's back. I don't know. Now, if the media were to get hold of this game, this would be, like, the most non-PC game ever. <laughs> it would not be produced. Why is that? It's all kind of... Oh, because you're betting in camels and yeah, and camels, and then the, the the guys who are betting are all Indian uh, descent, and it's all it, you know. <laughs> so it's it's, it's kind of like if they had an Italian game where you make your own pizza. Exactly, exactly. They do. People they do. Would just, people would just be pounding on that. But Luigi. that was my first play of that one too ever, and I, I won that one. And I you know there's there's absolutely no reason yeah. I won other than I got lucky. Yeah. Uh, the green camel uh, needed a three for it to happen. It <laughs> happened. I got you know, and I won. And uh, I don't know if I ever really care about playing that game again. Really? You I mean, I do. Like I, it. I do it. It's okay. It's just I, there, I is, a, there is there is zero. You would choose it over like a werewolf game, I think, right? Like a one night playing one night or I something. I don't. I don't mind the one night as much. I'd probably choose it over any other variation of werewolf. But I would definitely do Colts Express before that. I'd do King of Tokyo before that. 
Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, it's... Uh, so we do, I have to revisit this. So I have this actually in my spawn point later. I'm going to bring it up now <laughs> wow. because, because you mentioned Camel Up. So I was going to give an update on the party game Renaissance, which I spoke about a few episodes ago, where I talked about how I want, like, there's all these kind of party-ish games coming out, and I kind of wanted to play more of those instead of, like, the social deduction games. But I've been noticing as I bring these games out that... They're not going over as well as I expected. So a good example is we played Cash and Guns 2, Cash and Guns at Gen Con. Yeah, and I remembered that. That would have been on my bottom Gen Con list. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. I, rem- I blocked it out of my memory. That was a dumb game. Well, this is why you think it's dumb, though, because I think you have the wrong expectation. Because this, that game is also supposed to be silly fun. But for some reason, you're like, I, I heard you commenting about how you didn't feel like any of your decisions mattered. Which is the point. You're pointing guns at people and trying to get them to back out. Like, that's the whole point of the game. They throw the cards in there to get, give you something to fight for, but it's not really supposed to be a highly strategic game. It's supposed to be goofy fun. There's an illusion to that game that what you do matters, though. In Camel Up, there's no illusion. Yeah. You're betting on something that you have no idea. Well, I mean, you can influence a little bit with those chips that you, you put on there. Right. But it's obvious that it's pure madness. It's happening. Yeah. With the gun game, there's this strange sort of illusion that you have control over what's happening. And it, it was very frustrating watching people pull from the loot. Why? When you couldn't. Why would that be frustrating? Because I wanted the loot too. And <laughs> they didn't really do anything game, to right? des- they didn't really do anything to deserve the loot. No. I mean it was random. And Camel Up, there's still money exchanging and randomness. But it's, there's no illusion that what you're doing is the reason you're getting it. Yeah. Like, I won a game of Camel Up, and I know I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And there was no illusions about it. Right. In Colt Express, in the gun game, there's this, they make you believe that what you're doing is controlling the outcome. That bugs me. And, and that's why I didn't like the gun game. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, haven't, figured, I haven't quite figured out what types of game you'll like. And won't like you're actually pretty good at that though. But I would have guessed that you would hate Camel Up because of your you usually have such a strong negative reaction to games that are Camel random. Up is probably an exception. It's the That's an Express. asterisk game. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of the, I like gambling just in general. I think it's fun. And there's a gambling component in the game. Well yeah, the whole point I mean it's like the whole point of the game. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I've got a couple left that I, I'm not sure where they're gonna fall on your scale there. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's willing to try though. So anyway, I interrupted your spawn point. So that continue. Was it. Oh, okay. So uh, finished my Hearst Arts eight inch tower. Oh, done. I actually know what you what you said this time. Yeah, I I'm know. Learning it's done. So I you know <laughs> I, I can post some pictures up on the uh, Facebook site and you can see what it looks like. Yeah, I want to see it. So yeah, it's uh, complete. So uh, the the bathroom is next on the list. Ba- bathroom is in progress. I'm having issues with my brother coming over there. So uh, it's getting cold out and stuff now though. So I'm gonna get down there and start doing some work myself. What do you mean you have issues with your brother coming over? Well, there? he's he's doing some stuff with the the plumbing and pouring. Oh, you're like waiting phase. for him to do stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. I don't see that happen anytime soon, so uh, I have to figure something else out there. Is this the brother that plays? No, this is no. not Jim. This no, this is, is not Jim. No, no. <laughs> Never mind. I can't picture Jim pouring drywall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. And then uh, I had another duel with my brother in X-Wing, which would be Jim. Okay. And he uh, he broke out this Raider, which is one of the big Imperial ships. Okay. So first time he's done that in forever. He This is the one he was, he was up on the boards asking people builds and ideas and this stuff, and he came up with this build. And built this big raider with optimized generators, automated protocols, weapons engineers, and quads, and then brought the TIE X7s as support. 
Okay. And then uh, he actually defeated me again. Uh-oh. Whoa. Two times in a row. Is he net decking? I don't know. He was he was doing something there. So <laughs> He might be net decking. It was... Uh, He's researching, air quotes. <laughs> I'm all good with it, though. It made him very happy to once again defeat me with that. It was close. Um, we did find out that he was doing a couple things wrong. It wasn't major enough. Tim Slump um, continues. But yeah, but it was actually funny because we did a rematch before that as well, and we did a fleet swap. We had a little snafu is we were planning on my nephew and my other brother to show up. So it was going to be two, you know, four 200-point fleets, two on two. And then uh, they ditched that day, of course, because why give us heads up? So then me and my brother were going to go do the fight that we did before. So I handed him my fleet, and then I took his fleet and did not realize until the night was over and we're packing up that I was playing a 300-point squad and he was playing a 200-point squad. Oops. <laughs> he was wondering why he got killed so badly. Like, we finally figured it out as I was like basically walking out the door. I'm like, okay, we'll have to have a rematch. But it was his fleet? No, it was my fleet that I had built to play with my nephew, Johnny. Oh, so okay. it was only a 200-point fleet. Okay. So, yeah, a little, little snafu there. But he was happy to win, so I'm happy to report that he's back in. He's, he's, he's mentally there again. You sucked so, him back in. So hopefully... Uh, Do you think Tim is hustling us? Maybe Tim is losing at games with us so that when he tells us these stories, we believe him. <laughs> it's actually a big hustle to get his brother to stay and yeah. play X-Wing with him. Uh, could, that, be. could be. You know, he is. He's Ooh. kind of a mastermind over here. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise I've me. gotten good at the witch hunt and stuff. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> uh, so just a couple of things for me this time on the spawn point. One is I want to talk about the Duchess. The Duchess. The Duchess. The beautiful Duchess will be coming to my house in February. The Duchess is the game table that I backed on Kickstarter. Wait, what, what, what? Yes, I backed a game table on Kickstarter that will be shipped to my house in February. Does Esther know about this? Yes, she does. I had to get permission to do this. <laughs> this is my 10-year anniversary, birthday, Christmas, and Father's Day gift for 2016. <laughs> oh my 17, God. 18, 19, 19. <laughs> So that was the deal. Wow. How many halos does she have over her head? <laughs> well, in my defense, this is a very inexpensive as far as game tables go. The The base table was $500. Okay. okay. So it's not one of these like $3,000 tables, but he was able to, it was, it's from boardgametables.com and he's able to kind of mass produce them, which is why he could offer them at a, at a lower price by doing crowdfunding. Because usually these are custom made tables. Correct. That's why they're so expensive. Uh, so he got enough backers money. He worked out all the math that he could do this kind of mass production. So wow. it looks like it's going to be a really nice table. It's not a huge one. It's a three by five. It'll fit in my game room at my house. So I'm super excited about the Duchess. Interesting. Coming in February. I'm already, I'm already planning in my head how, where I'm going to put it in the room and how I'm going to have to organize things in there to, to fit it in. But yeah, the Duchess more coming about that. I'm sure. Very nice. Yeah. Pictures. Definitely need pictures. Yeah. Also wanted to mention that I, I think I might have brought this up before, but they announced Spyfall Two. Have you heard about this? No, no. Spyfall Two was announced. It has twenty new locations, each with twelve cards, and you play with two spies. Interesting. So I found that very interesting. Now, some things that disappoint me about this, because of the fact that it's twelve cards, you cannot combine it with the current game. Well, that's what should be part of this game is. Four more car, three more cards and a spy to make the other ones work. Right. So I'm hoping they do release like a supplemental pack. Hey, that should have come it. with Spyfall too. That should have been part of that game. Well, it hasn't been released, and this is the version that's being released. I don't even think it's being released in the U.S. yet. This is like the original version of Spyfall was released in some other, I think France, and then the, someone Cryptozoic brought it over to the U.S. So I'm hoping when Cryptozoic brings it over, 
they do include supplemental yes. cards. Cryptozoic, so, listen up. Yeah. Combine, please let us combine this with original Spyfall. Otherwise, why would we buy this? Because it has less, it would have less locations, but you'd have more players. Yeah. I don't know. At least, like, the current one has 30 locations, not 20. So, anyways, hopefully. Come the camel up. Yeah, hopefully they, they <laughs> figure right. that out. So, my last thing in the spawn point, I want to talk about the out of game invitational. So we don't have this schedule yet. It's probably going to be sometime in 2017, maybe the first half of 2017. We've been doing the podcast for a couple of years now, and we know we have a lot of listeners around uh, the Chicago area, maybe even like in southern Wisconsin, Indiana, or anywhere, really. Uh, and we'd like to invite you guys all to play games with us for an entire Saturday at a game store somewhere in the Chicago area. So just wanted to let you guys know that we're, we're thinking about this. We want to make it a really cool event Maybe we can get some games to raffle off, you know, have it at a, at a nice location. We're excited about it, just the ideas we've come up with so far. So just kind of have it on your radar sometime early 2017, the Out of Game Invitational. And let us know, you know, if you're interested in coming, maybe I'll post a thread out there and just, just to gauge interest. Um, yeah, interest gauge is good. And when and where, we'll have to let you know once we find out from the profit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of awesome listeners, we have a slew of listener questions. Listener questions. So we are going to do six unprecedented listener questions this time. Question number one is from Brian Herman. With the astounding growth of board game popularity, new games are all the rage. Thus your need to talk about buying responsibly. What old game has stood the test of time for you more than any other? You can decide what old means. Thanks. This is a hard question for Ryan to answer. <laughs> this is probably a very hard question for him to answer. Yeah, because he tends to immerse and then abandon. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, games last longer when they're not obsoleted. I think that's the true test. If the game is good, first of all, and then if it's not obsoleted. Once a game is obsoleted, it's harder to play. Like Shadows Over Camelot is harder to play once Dead of Winter came along. You could make a case that that yeah. obsoleted. Code names versus code names pictures. Yeah, exactly. Code name <laughs> pictures. You know, why would you ever play code names in the worst games of all time? So I think the games that stand the test of time are the ones that haven't been obsoleted. And I haven't been in this this hobby for long enough, I think, but. Games that haven't come close to being obsolete, the first one that comes to mind is Cyclades. I mean, there's no other game like that. You know, even the expansions to it, you could still play the original and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that counts. I mean, outside of board games, RPGs stand the test of time. And like Magic, I still play that. That stands the test of time. Again, two things that haven't been obsoleted. The consistency for me is that, you know, once a game has been there's improved upon by a new game, you don't play the old game again. That's the number one yeah. killer of old games. And I think Scythe is going to kill a lot of games, too. Yeah. It might. It I think might. its mechanic is trumped mechanics that are similar in a way that is going to make us not want to play them. Just Do you have any games in mind that might be? I think, like, Kalos was a little bit wavering. We haven't played it in a while. And I, I think I have even less desire to play with Scythe as an option. Hmm. I guess because Sky is new, you know. After a few more it's plays, possible. you might be you might you might be okay, Kalis, or Sky. Yeah, yeah, and then just, you know, Skimitar comes out and in, in opposite <laughs> Sky. <laughs> That's how they teach it in school. Oh, uh, just the season. So you know, with the you know outstanding growth and buying responsibility, you know, I think now more than ever, you got to do your homework before you go out and buy a game. I mean, some of these games are not cheap. You know, these. 
deluxe editions and such, you know, to just go out and buy the game. It's just like the good movie trailers. It's really easy to get sucked in by a good trailer, and then you go see the movie, and it just sucks. Yeah. But at least there, you're only out like, you know, 10 bucks these days, or, you know, 30 if you buy popcorn. <laughs> so, you know, do your homework <laughs> on the games before you buy them, for sure. And then, you know, if, if you can play the game, by all means, play the game. That'll That first play will give you an indication whether or not this game's worth owning and putting in your collection. So... Research and playing, if possible, before making purchase. Don't try to do the Kickstarters. Ryan, Ryan's a gambler. Usually ends up no, okay. No, he's but an addict. He is an addict. There is that, too. So then, for me, a game that stood the test of time, and you guys are going to like look at me like I'm crazy, but Formula D. Oh. What? Exactly. See? I forgot that you played that. I wasn't oh there God. that long. Talk about a low DAR factor. The reason, the reason this came up, too, is actually I was just talking with my brother and... We're like, oh, you know, we we should break out Formula D, and now my bro- my younger brother wants to bring it up to Wisconsin and have his son play, and his his daughter and his wa- his wife will actually play this one. So this Do is you like own the this? game. Jim has, I think, almost every single track that's been produced. Does he have the He's new got- version or the old one, the Formula Day? You would have to tell me what the difference. Does it have a is. gearbox? Like a, it actually looks like a gearbox where you move the thing into gear. No, I don't believe okay, he's got so that. So he's version. got the he's old got, one. Yeah. I think he's got the old one. Okay, but this is one that we can sit down and you know people that normally wouldn't play would play. You know, my brother's wife who would never play a game will actually play this one, and it just goes back to when we're doing it. And you know, Jim's very aggressive when he plays this game, and his car usually ends up as a scrap of metal because he rolls the thirty sider when he's like five spaces away from a three stop turn. Yeah, because he's he's got to be in first, and so lots of laughs on this one, and it's it's just a good party style game. I me. wish you guys could see Chris's face while Tim is talking right now because it's very classic. I'm staring at the ceiling just wondering how I could ever get that hour back of my life when I played that game. So I have a theory, Chris. This is this is going to test my ability to know whether I can predict if you like games or not. But I have to ask Tim a question first. When you guys when Chris played this game, yeah. Did you do the advanced side where the individual parts of the car take d- damage Correct. like the tires and Correct. Okay. So there's another, I don't, maybe the old version doesn't have this, but on the new one, there's an easy side where there's just, you don't have all those individual things you're tracking. There's just overall damage on your car. So it removes that feeling of control that you might have. And it feels more like just chucking dice and Are going around a track. rolling a die and then yeah. moving the car based on the random yeah. amount? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's kind of like um, rolling a die and moving a camel yeah, based it on is. a rolling amount. It's so. very similar. But this one's actually a lot funner. <laughs> I think it's the same game. The difference is in the racing game, there's an illusion that what you're doing counts for something. In Camel Up, you clearly... That's my point, though. My point is that in the basic version, there's less of that illusion. Yeah. Oh, That's I my see. point. So it's more campy. Yes. Okay. So I don't, like, I don't like the side that you guys played on, but I like the basic side. Okay, it, well, maybe, uh, maybe uh, I'll have to revisit Formula that. Day Rematch. <laughs> What'd you say? Formula Day Rematch. <laughs> you said it so fast. I, know, I just <laughs> kind of like threw it all together. Okay. Formula Day. Yeah, because the game we were playing, everybody was taking it pretty seriously. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, my car wouldn't start in the beginning because I rolled whatever, whatever number comes up in the dice randomly that makes your everybody else start and you not. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking that... I have some control with that when I don't. The, the most fun part about Formula D is just trying to get up to the point that you're rolling a 30-sided die, even if you know you're going to go around the turn and crash. No, the funnest part is la- trying to land next to somebody or when you're counting out, making sure you land next to somebody and make them roll to see if they got damage on their car and watching them explode. 
Well, that's also fun. Yeah. <laughs> the whole, it's, it's, it's like death race is really what it should do be. do that. Right. Played. It sounds like well, you that's, guys that's Your version is probably better than yeah. That's that's the way you got to okay. do it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Should call it Formula Day Deathmatch. So this is probably potentially one of the most shocking things you're ever going to hear me say on the Out of Game podcast. Maybe I'm not sure, but that's Are you my prediction. Swear? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although to some people this might be a swear word. Although I'm not sure. So my answer is actually the game Clue. So you would think that I would hate this game because I, yes. I hate all other games that were ever produced, like in the yes. in the mass market. But Clue is the one mass market game that I would still play and I still think is fun, even though I know that it's been outdated and replaced. So there's multiple games that do this better than Clue. But I think maybe just the something about maybe it's sentimental value. But I do think there's the logic in Clue is fun, like trying to figure out what cards people passed. Yeah. I mean, you're not just keeping track of what you see, but you're paying attention to what other people pass. And you can like rule out things by doing that. I have a friend, friend named Andrea. You should see her notepad when she plays. She always wins. So I know that it's a skill thing. She figured out this system of taking notes where she can like record every detail of everything that happens and she'll like figure it out before everyone else. Oh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, seriously. Nice. Of course, there's roll and move in this game, but the secret passages are cool. I don't know. There's just something about Clue that I still like. There is like a version of Clue that it's a like Clue the DVD game where there's no roll and move in it. It's like the DVD tells you where to go. Uh, so, but it uses a DVD. But I feel like someone should, they should just remake a, a version of Clue and somehow remove roll, the roll and move part. And then it would just be like a modern board game because all the other things sure. in that game were great. So Clue, I think Clue stands the test wow. of time beyond any other mass market board I'll game. I give you credit for going yeah. off the reservation. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's a respectable answer. Yeah, Clue. Represented. All right. Uh, question two. Go for it. Plum. Dennis Hoyle, how many games do you own that are still in their shrink wrap? <laughs> Tim's looking at me. <laughs> for me, that's a big old zero. Zero. So Ryan, go so for Ryan, it. So Ryan... Zero, not even expansions. Zero. How about X-wing ships? Zero. All right. Zero point zero. And those don't come in shrink wrap. They're technically in bubble containers. So. Okay. How about packs of magic? Packs of magic. They're not shrink wrap. Yes, I do have sealed packs of magic. They're not shrink wrap. Boxes though. or packs? I do have a few boxes. All right, Tim has some. I'm sitting on a box of revised. All right. Are which, you really? Yes, I am. How much I, you want for him? Uh, I saw that go- the box is going for like twenty five hundred bucks. What? <laughs> oh man! How I, I don't even know what set that Holy is. Holy cow! Third edition. Third edition. Holy yeah, cow, man! Yes, you I have to a, sell I have that. Full... You should open it. Nah, I th- I'm thinking I'm just going to sell it. Why don't you point. give it away in the out of game invitational? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> You're here here first. Feel like that's a hot potato. If I was holding on to that, yeah. If it's worth that much, I'd want to move it. That's it's like the, holding an orbit on crystal. Is, you know, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Which he's also doing. That's, that's what they're saying that it's worth, but you still got to find somebody who wants to pay that for it. So, what about just selling it to a game store? They'd probably want to give me you know twelve hundred so they could sell it for twenty five hundred. Yeah. yeah. So you know what? If you honestly, if you bring that to the Invitational, not to give to our fans, but there's going to be like magic players there. I don't think I want to carry a, around a two thousand dollar box of cards that may get stolen. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, but yes, I, I retract. So, I retract that. So, so yes, I do have those things that are sealed, but board games, <laughs> no. Okay, so my answer is twenty-eight. Wait, wait, you, wait! Didn't we just hear that his magic number, like in the recent past, yeah. was twenty-three? So this includes expansions. That's why it's higher than the number. This also includes games that I bought for the sole intention of playing with my son when he's a teenager. A teenager. Yes. So I have some games on my shelf 
because I don't know how long these games are going to stay in print. So, Shouldn't like, you like try to do that a little sooner, teenagers? Well, maybe like twelve. Well, I don't know, ten or it depends on the game. Like Descent, Descent Second Edition. I don't think you can play that until you're at least. Yeah, but why like don't you open it? Like eight or nine. Pieces. I think you should eight or nine. Eight or nine. I, I got heavy into role playing in the fourth grade, so that would be about nine. Okay. So I think even seven. I think seven. You could start getting some of that stuff. The reason I don't open it, there's a couple of reasons. One, if the game, if they, they might come out with a new edition. In the time I'm waiting, so if I'd send shrink wrap, I could just resell it. But mostly, I, I don't know. I don't have any feel like opening in a game that I'm not going to play for ten years. I'd rather just leave it on the shelf. So you don't even own 28 games, I bet. No. I know I don't. I don't. So yeah. you've got 28 still shrink wrap. You know, I'm still fixated on your box of revised. <laughs> thinking like, I wonder what kind of rares you have in there. I know there might be some good stuff demonic in tutor. Demonic tutor for sure. You know Man. that. And by the way, Dennis Hoyle. That's the dentist we met at Gen Con, in case you're not putting the two and two together. Bellwether Games, go check out their, their website. They've got some fun games. Nice. Question three. Chris, why don't you read this one? Question's by Andrew Garrison. And his question is, what is your monthly gaming budget? So for me, I, I mean, I don't really have a budget. I mean, I'll, if I want to buy a game, I'll buy it. And I don't really buy a lot of games. I just play other people's games. Let's count so. Magic for you, because you do buy Magic. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, Dave and I play Magic, but we, we haven't bought new cards in a while. But when we do, we'll buy like one to two boxes. So a couple hundred bucks. And that would be maybe in a month or two. So, but I don't really care about that. Like I, the money, this hobby is not expensive compared to other things you'd be spending your money on. So if, if I had a problem like Ryan's where I just couldn't stop buying games and I obsessed <laughs> over them and I was pumping money into Kickstarter, then I would have to put myself on a budget. But I don't really buy it enough. What would that budget be? What's your theoretical budget? Probably $500 a month, maybe. Whoa. Wow. I don't know, 400 Is that too high? It's pretty high. It's pretty high. That's, you know, think about it. Think about it in magic terms. You're basically buying four boxes of magic a month. Yeah, but this is under the caveat that these are games I'm playing and enjoying, right? Well, right. that'd be $400 would be eight games in a month. You'd be playing like one so of I those. I wouldn't even have time to do that. Right. right. <laughs> so maybe five games? Or is that too much still? I don't know. I mean... I'm going to get to my answer in a second, but it's pretty high. But I definitely think there's people who spend that, so well, I can't depends. argue it. I'm, I'm not sacrificing. I'm not sending my kids to college right. for this, or like I can't make my car payment. You know, those things are taken care of, so I can do that. Yeah. But it probably is silly to spend that much. It really depends on, you know, if, if I'm getting good use out of these games, like Tim mentioned movies, you go to a movie and blow a lot of money, and you're never going to be able to see that movie again the way you did in the theater. Yeah. But you could buy a game and replay that game, and if you multiply that value out, it could be worth it. So it really comes down to, am I playing this game enough to warrant that money? Right. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think if things were... A lot of it has to do with budget in life, too. Right. right? So th- things like that would matter. Like if I wanted to buy a new car, then I'm going to stop buying games. I just won't buy any games so I can save up money. You know, that kind of thing factors in. Right. So I don't know. A couple hundred. Yeah, I mean, I've got the same thing. I don't have really a budget. I just, you know, but if there's well, something out there, the, if, but if, if I'm you, doing a theoretical thing, I would say like a hundred bucks or one, one, one game, one game purchase. So if it's, you know, if I'm buying the super deluxe Sky. grand edition of some game, and it's 150 bucks, then I'd buy the $150 game and that'd be my month purchase or whatever. But I, I definitely will go even in, even in an X-Wing. I mean, part of it's due to the release schedule and stuff, but I will go five, six months without buying a single ship, but then cool stuff Inc. will have a great sale or something and uh, you know, I'll drop two hundred bucks. Right. So it's it's cyclical. I mean 
definitely when I was playing Magic all the time. I was at a point where, I mean, I played Magic every single Monday with the same group of guys for like eight years. And there, yeah, I mean, I was probably dropping a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah, and lucky Magic. for me, when I was in that phase, not only didn't I didn't have the money to spend then. I mean, because my kids were at the age where I just, my budget wouldn't allow that. Yeah. But also that was when we had the the self-imposed spending limits. Yeah. During that time. Thank God for that. Yeah, and that's, that's thank, thank God I don't do that anymore because, yeah, that was just a lot of money going out. And, you know, and then, of course, I did the magic, and then I got into the Decipher Star Wars game, and then I got into the original Lord of the Rings game, and then, and then the, the second Lord, Lord, of, second the Lord of the Rings game. So I had a lot of monies being put into CCGs. I'm kind of glad I'm out of the CCGs at this point because that's by far more expensive than any of these other board gaming hobbies. Yeah, that's a money drain. Yeah. CCGs are a money drain, because, especially when you're immersing yourself and continually yeah. playing because your ability to play becomes better with the more cards you have. Yep. And so it's brilliant marketing, but yep. it's tough. So, I mean, if I was going to put a budget, though, I'd try to just say not necessarily a dollar amount, but just say one game. One game a month. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good answer. So my official... You guys are going to laugh at me. So my official budget is $50 for games a month. But I'm not very good at sticking to the budget. Yes. Oh, my God. So, so it's that's my official... You silver tongue your way on my, through, on, on the statement, on our budget, that's what it says. <laughs> but really, Esther, this game's different. It's, there, there's a reason that I want to buy it. It's not like the other 10 games I bought. <laughs> And she's like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I probably spend, on average, though, closer to 100 a month, I would say. Because games aren't that expensive. I mean, one game is 30 to $40. I mean, with Asmodee jacking up the prices, it's gotten a little more expensive. More expensive. But, so, you know, and some, some games are real cheap, like little card games, you know, like they're only like 10 or $15. So it may seem like, like my magic number might go up by five, but I only spent like a hundred dollars. So I, I think it's probably close to a hundred dollars realistically a month. So thanks for the question. Next question. Number four from Adam Schomburg, which is where we're brought. Wow, yeah. Schomburg. That's right. It's probably where the invitational is going to be held too. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, you mentioned hearing from Chicago listeners, but what about a green Bay listener? Yeah, we can hear from you too. <laughs> thanks for asking though. Uh, I'm a huge dice lover, like some of you, and would love to know what you think of strategy dice games. These dice games are essentially just a random input for the larger strategy game. These games are Quantum, Alien Frontiers, and the new and possibly washed out dice game remake, Pandemic the Cure, and others. 1,000 bonus points, because this is a game now, for anyone who knows or has played Dice Brewing, another great dice game with strategy. Never heard of dice brewing? I had to actually look it up to see what it was. But yeah, I never never even heard of it. So But I'm wondering if Andrew or Adam, if Adam Schomburg, if he's heard of Dragon Dice. Dragon Dice. Which falls into this category and I don't you think it's around correct. anymore. Correct. I saw it at Gen Con. Yeah, but, are, yeah, but is, still, it, is it currently? Yeah, released? I saw a new really? I saw like it okay. for sale and I remember you guys talking about it. Wow. Well, my guess my guess is that Adam <laughs> would love Dragon Dice because Dragon Dice is it's all about. Oh, it is the game. Yeah, it's the dice are the game. Yes, I remember thinking it was dumb the first time I saw it, but it was it was okay. I remember once we were taught the game, I kind of got it. It's not bad. Actually, I have a bunch of dragon dice at home. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Is it a strategic game? You would actually love dragon. You probably dice. like it actually. It's not just luck. You got you got different sized dice. You so you got like a small die, you got a medium die, you got a big die, and they have different faces. Some attack, some defend, and you're basically there's three locations that you're warring over and you're trying to rocker this thing. It's a 10-sider. And you're trying to rocker it up to 10 and that means you control it. Okay. And you do that by waging war against the guy on the other side. And you do that by picking up all the dice at that location 
and rolling. So then you count up your number of attacks, he counts up his number of defense, and you deal damage and stuff like that. And if you win, you rocker the die in your favor. If you but lose, it's a you collectible rocker. dice game. But it's so a collectible dice, dice game. So there's rares, there's uh, uncommons. Maybe this isn't what I saw then, because I don't think I saw a collectible game. Yeah, but you would love the fact that the dice comes in different shapes, sizes, and symbols. Yep, okay. and they're unique. There's, there's different factions. There's undead. There's elves. There's, and they, they each, like the dwarves, which are an orange and a gold color, kind of speckled, they're more attack-based. And so they kind of varied the faces based on the factions. So it's it, it was interesting. Uh, actually, Greg and I played that for quite a time. Yeah, you guys were a little more into it than I was, yeah. but I remember it was okay. I remember it was fun. I think dice games like this in general are very flash in the pan. Like they're exciting and fun at that moment, but the, you know it doesn't last. So, so does this match because he's because he's mentioning like Alien Frontiers, where the dice yeah. is just part of the game. It's like well, that, a, that's an interesting. It's like point. a mechanic in the game because Alien Frontiers is completely different than Dragon Dice. Okay, so Alien Frontiers is that's a. I look at that as more a worker placement game. Granted, there's a dice factor. Right. I sure. think that's what he's saying. He's like games where dice isn't the whole game, but it's like a Just it's a, a comp- like it. a mechanic in the game. Yeah. Well, I love Alien Frontiers. Yeah. So that's a good example of a game that works that way. Now, Pandemic the Cure though really is all about the dice. So it's there. I don't really actually think those games are in the same category. Pandemic the Cure is the dice version of Pandemic. Well, what do you think? You're you like dice games? Yeah, so I mean, as Alien Frontiers is my favorite game, so I, I'm, obviously I like games like this where where the dice are the dice are there, but the luck factor isn't as high as you would think. I guess where you're using them in a strategic way. Of, there is some luck in Alien Frontiers, obviously, but it's not as much as other dice games. So yeah, I love games like this. The, um, a couple others that I can think of are like I don't, you guys haven't played this, but Bora Bora. Castles of Burgundy. These are both games by a guy named Stefan Feld, where you're rolling dice and you're based on what you roll, you can select certain actions to do. And I like both those games a lot. So I actually, not, I mean, I really think this is one of my favorite mechanisms because I love dice, but I don't really like luck based dice games. So if we're using dice, but the game is still strategic, then that's great. And if they're custom dice, it's even better. You'd like dragon dice. Yeah. Just custom dice. Yeah. And- yeah, I want to try. You guys have talked about it a couple times, but I don't like the collectible part of that. Yeah, you know, but it's one of those things. Unless you're like doing tournaments and stuff like that, who cares? Okay. <laughs> you know, you get a rare die in every pack. But you're, you're forgetting my problem, though. When I, if I like it, then I'm going to want to go out and yeah. buy it all. Well, the good thing is you probably can't buy this one, so that'd be probably a good <laughs> yeah, thing. That's true. Or I'm going to have to buy it at like these crazy prices on eBay. I'm one of the ones, I'm like in the middle on dice games. You know, I, I enjoy Dragon Dice. Formula Day, dice game, love it. King of Tokyo, love it. Another pretty much strictly dice game, although it's got the other factors. So that kind of fits more of the dice are affecting things, but you know, you still have like the power-ups and other things that you can right. do. So they're they're the mechanic, but they're still other things. But then there's the other games on the other end, like bang the dice game. I loathe that game. I hate it. <laughs> hate it. Why do you hate that more than Formula D or Day or whatever? It's I love Formula Day. Why? Like, well, how, how is how is banging the dice game that much different? It's just it's replacing a bang the card game, which I actually do enjoy, uh, with a much simpler, benign, annoying thing of rolling dice and getting arrowed to death. The Indians are so much more apparent in bang the dice game than they are in the regular game. So pretty much, I think every time I played that so far, I've died by arrows. It's just stupid. I'd rather get shot by my, you know, evil partner that's sitting next to me. That's the, uh, you know, the ranger, whatever the heck he is. Uh, Renegade. Renegade, thank you. I knew it was an R. The ranger. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle on those dice games. And then, you know, worst mechanic for dice games is like when 
like in the original Lord of the Games game, the card game, you're doing a battle and then you could play like cards that give you a plus pluses and then everything else was based on a die roll. Problem is you had to pump your guy up without knowing what your die roll was. So then if like you played your plus five card and then you rolled a 10 anyways, you just wasted your card. Or if you didn't play it because you only needed to make, you know, you only need to roll a two and then you rolled a one and then you couldn't pump after the fact, that mechanic sucks. I think, you know, you reminded me of Rolling it. dice and modifying dice after they've been rolled is the way to go if you're going to do those kind of mechanics. There was a CCG called For Wheel of Time. And we used to play this game here at Zurich. Yeah, it was big time for you guys. Yeah, we went through a phase where those books were really popular and we all bought cards. And you know who dominated that game was Phil. And he was like the opposite of Ryan where he could just roll. I've never seen anybody with the luck that he has rolling <laughs> dice. And so this game, you know, had a different colored dice. And there were six-sided dice, and there's stickers you put on them when you buy the game. And the cards had little squares with numbers in each color. And that's how many dice you would use when you play the card. And it's like you're all getting for this last battle. The last battle, you're just rolling handfuls of these multicolored dice based on the army that you've built up. And it was, cra- it was the craziest amount of dice that I've ever seen in a game. And I, f- I had forgotten about that game until nice. just now. And th- another flash in the pan game. It was one of those games that was yeah. fun, but it wore out. Yeah, it's it's probably because it was based on something. You know, it was it's not it just was like a, a generic thing. thing. It's yeah. yeah, true. Question five. Question five. Jared Beeswinger. <laughs> I hope I am saying that right. What game most dazzles new gamers when you bring it out? Mine is Red Seven. I'm not familiar with Red Seven. Ryan, do you have any info on Red Seven? Red Seven is like a good version of Flux. That's not possible. No, it is. <laughs> That's like, actually not possible. It's where the rules change, but the game's actually fun. Uh, so, but the question is revolving around... <laughs> it was like around... Red 5 and it was Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I might be there. But... The question is revolving around impressing people, though. Yeah. So he's asking like if we have games that we would wheel out. Right. Yeah, I don't know why that's his, his game, but Jared can answer that. So my, mine is uh, Flick Him Up. <laughs> oh, that's I, when choice. I've broken this out in front of people, people are always like, oh, what was this? And they come over and get interested and start watching it. And of course, my Sam's like, oh, let's play. So, but the every time. The game I, would be that way too, right? Was that? The Penguin. The Penguin game. game. You should probably go for that. Uh, was that? Uh, Ice Cool. Ice Cool. <laughs> yeah. I have to think about that one for her. But that was a fun game. Yeah. So, I, I Flick Them Up for me seems to get a lot of attention. Well, I had my dad over and I wanted to play a game with him. So, I brought out Seven Wonders because the theming and the cards and the boards, you know, that's yeah. kind of impressive, especially for somebody who's not a hardcore gamer. I would say that's one. You know, the games with the nice theme, like Scythe would be one. I mean, it's a very impressive board. Mm-hmm. You've got the nice pieces. If you're looking to visually impress somebody, Cycladies is pretty impressive. A lot of people walking by looking at us at Gen Con. Yeah, playing that Scythe, game. yeah. Yep. Attracted a lot of eyes. So for me, I guess I didn't look at it at this question as it dazzles them by how it looks, although maybe that's how I should have interpreted it. I'm more, I guess I kind of took this as what game would I bring out to a new gamer to kind of suck them into the hobby. What game can I get them to play that'll make them want to come back for yeah. more? So it has to be like an easy game. So I just pick the no, the number one gateway game, which is... Settlers tic- of No, Ticket to Ride. Oh, Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, I like better than Settlers. It's a little shorter, too. And there's less luck involved. Although Settlers has trading, which people like a lot. That's one thing I like a little better about Settlers. But Ticket to Ride is like... There's like four rules in the game. <laughs> And it's just every time I show this game to new gamers, they like it and they want to find out how to buy it. Even like people you wouldn't like family members, any random person like I could bring this game out and I think they would like it. So Ticket to Ride would be my choice. All right, Chris, question number six. Question number six is from JT Harrison. What is your favorite lifestyle game? Lifestyle in quotes. 
Mine is Mage Wars. Is yours one of the Fantasy Flight LCGs? I think it would be an interesting discussion for the podcast. Well, I mean, for me, I've actually had many, <laughs> many lifestyle games, Magic being one of the big ones. When I was into Magic, it's all it was, is buying Magic cards, playing Magic, buying Magic cards, playing Magic, role-playing, which RPGs. is still a continuing one. And then, of course, my latest one, uh, as you all well know, is X-Wing. I am big time into that game. I Every time there's a new ship, I am, I, I'm excited to see what the new ship's going to do, how it's going to interact with what things are out there, what new game mechanics are coming up with, so... X-Wing right now, by far and away, is my, my top lifestyle game. Yeah, I think anything where you're metagaming, too. Yeah. We used to metagame constantly with um, RPGs. Yeah. It was, I think, is how you would define the lifestyle game, where it bleeds out of game into your life, and you're talking about it constantly. And that, that was the big one. I put Magic, even though I don't play it, that's the only game I've, well, I guess role-playing, <laughs> too, but the, both of those things were like, I was very immersed in them for a long period of time. You know, it's kind of like the whole hobby of board gaming replaced like one single game of Magic the Gathering. That was like the next step for me. Yeah. So that's kind of what it is now, but that's not a game. But what we're doing right now is metagaming about board gaming. It's true. I mean, we're sitting here (laughs) doing a podcast about board gaming. Right. So that's more extreme than anything else I've ever done as far as a game goes. Um, But Magic was the one that for, for sure was the one I was the most into for a long period of time. I mean, we would go to Gen Con just to play Magic. It's true. That was the only reason right. we went. I mean, that's completely changed now. Yes, it has. So there's so much to explore there. Right. I mean, we, we haven't even we haven't even gone done seen half, of half the stuff that we should probably yeah. be trying. Yep. Good question. All right. So thanks everyone for the questions. So Chris, I was thinking, and we've discussed this before. We have. That you have a segment on the show called the Board Game Food Truck. Board Game Food Truck. It's just it's like a segment dedicated to Chris, and we have the Grill Ryan where you guys ask me questions. But Tim has been on for like a year. Mm-hmm, and he exactly. has yet to have his own segment. I know, but now we light. finally do. Yeah. We finally have a segment for Tim. So we're fixing all that right now with seeing the Matrix. The Matrix. I know Kung Fu. Show me. To explain a little, a little background for people <laughs> listening, why we even have this segment. Okay. Because we touch on it constantly, but in case anybody's new to the show. So Ryan and I, we've been playing games. You know, Tim, we go to his place. You know, he hosts game night every month. He has a strange ability to win a higher percentage of games than he should. And I think when you are introduced to a brand new game, and there's five people, let's say, playing, and it's new to everybody except maybe the person teaching it, Tim's chance of winning that game, it should be about 20% with five people. It's really about 50%. I'd say it's even higher than that. Uh, 50% is pretty high. I think it's like 70%. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) uh, definitely we're in agreement that it's high. Yeah, it's high. So so after this happened time and time again, we noticed a pattern. There was something strange going on that Tim was winning a unusually high amount of games. And it came out on the show that Ryan used the analogy that Tim doesn't see the game. He sees the matrix. Right. He sees through everything. The rules, you know, the, the click for you moment that you talk about where everything comes together and you get your strategy, which is like maybe halfway through. Tim's got that before the game even starts. Right. He gets it midway through the rules. I got this. <laughs> and he's just waiting for the rules to wrap up. So this segment is all about Tim sharing some of his pearls of wisdom with us. All right. So what Tim's going to do is we don't even know what game he's going to choose. Tim is going to tell us a game. And then he's going to share some strategy tips for that game. And, you know, 
we might have some questions for Tim, some oh, comments. Little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. So let's hear it, Tim. What game have you chosen? Oh, so we're going to talk about Cyclades. Cyclades. Oh, nice. Ooh, Chris is going to yes. really like this one. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we need to explain it. We've talked about this game enough that everybody should know what this game is. So probably the number one rule in this game is never be the first fool to complete a district. <laughs> okay. Don't ever do it. <laughs> Stop at three. Do not complete it. Okay. That will be completed later under some other rules. I've been that guy so twice. So you about the Metropolis. Yes. Do not complete that Metropolis. Because building two Metropolises win the game. Right. Wins the game. Building one puts everybody on Everyone, put, everyone continues to destroy you turn after turn as soon as you have one <laughs> Metropolis. So. so fly under the radar. Fly under the radar. Definitely. But that's with a lot of games, too. So Second one, early on, you know, the cornucopia is not a bad thing. Getting that dollars going so that you can win bids and stuff later in the game is a really good thing. The that power of that cornucopia is good. Hmm. So start collecting those early. So yeah. go for Apollo, get the cornucopia. Yes. Which I never do because everyone I thinks it's the lamest right. area to go. And then another one, maximize on the gods when you pick them. So if you're going to take Zeus, make sure that you're going to use his special abilities also. Don't just take him to get the first ability. Try to maximize that turn on picking that god. Otherwise, maybe you should be picking another god if you can't fulfill some of the other stuff. Because then you're just, unless you're doing it for a block. But that aside, try to maximize your god picks. Hmm. Interesting. So just a little history about my couple of plays of sickly. Are, are there more tips? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, let's, let's, well, let's hear more. I don't want to interrupt. Also, <laughs> pick the neglected god. If there's people that just aren't picking a god, you can get that one for like nothing. You pay your one and you get it. And then, of course, you know, that god will be, everyone, Athena, right? Because she sucks. <laughs> but what you do is when you get Athena, you buy two of those philosophers. Yeah. And then when you're forced to get her again, you buy two more philosophers. All of a sudden, oh, you got four philosophers. You've completed one of your metropolises. And everybody's going, he's taking Athena. He's <laughs> doing nothing. And then just stack those guys up, up there so no one actually looks at them and hope that they don't ask to count them. <laughs> But they're like they're so they're, they're so busy getting you know Apollo and stuff that they don't even care that you know he's got an Athena who, who cares. <laughs> so look to those philosophers to do some uh, do some damage later in the game. And then of course don't overlook that final game win of getting it from your neighbor. Don't try to complete the district yourself or this or that. Go get it from somebody else who's done the work for you. Get get up to three. That's unlike you. Though. Get your philosophers and then go find out who's got that fourth piece for you and just just go take it from them because they're going to worry about you getting up here and stuff. So they're going to worry about you, know, preventing about you, you picking from the doing guy. this. Yeah. yeah, they're going to try to prevent it. Over they're going to the try to outbid you. Yes. So this was something that happened in our game at my house where Chris was about to win, right? And so everyone convinced... Who was it that was about to win on my left? I don't know, but I think I invaded somebody and won. Yeah, so... Was this the last game? We played a game no, at my house. Oh, okay. House. And, and someone was about to win and everyone worked collectively together to get me to go attack this person and it, and it made me realize that I could have done this at any point in the game, gone in and just taken over their metropolis. And it, it didn't occur to me until everyone convinced me to do it at the end because on this guy's next turn, he was going to win. Yeah. I think that, that was the one where I, I won with Athena. It's yeah. probably the most and the overlooked thing. the invasion was thing. the one yes. I won at your house. Yes. I think that's the most overlooked thing is acquiring those things from other people because it's people are so focused on their strategy and how they're going to complete their metropolises that they forget that two spaces away, someone's got the last piece they need. And if hopefully between a sea attack or a land attack, you know, you've got two options to go get it. And people are going to have a hard time covering all your options. 
which is why the philosopher thing's not bad either. Because if you leave that as open option, now all of a sudden Athena is like a desired thing because you could win by getting philosophers. I would love yeah. to see an all philosopher win. Yeah. I just realized we've never reviewed Cyclades. We've talked about it's it. It's the best game ever. In like every episode. My favorite number one game. <laughs> it's probably been talked about so much, there's no point in reviewing yeah, it. Yeah, we I mean, have talked about it quite a bit. It's the perfect game. All right, so lay on the questions. What's up? So my one question would be, I don't really have a lot of questions because I feel like I'm good at this game already, but your point about the philosophers was interesting. So wouldn't going for the philosophers get you on the radar, though? You got to get that point of non-criticality. So maybe you get like three. And then, you know, you've got your Metropolis at three. And everybody's still not paying attention to you because somebody's probably been foolish enough to complete their Metropolis. I'm always watching philosophers. So your point, it just was interesting when you're going for a god to go all out. That, that you, That's you, a good point. But if you do that with Athena and you get two philosophers early in the game or even midway through, I feel like I'm going to be noticed because you're spending the extra money. Yeah, but people forget that about that. That's why you get the cornucopias, though, too, so you don't have to worry about the money spend. But, yeah, I, I think people in general ignore the philosophers. Yeah. But then, you know, if you, if you now have the ability to win by getting Metropolis through attack or Philosophers through Athena, they can't possibly block all your strategies. Unless That's, everyone in so the game... So the point destroys. is to try to... You, you're, you're setting yourself up to win in more multiple than Multiple ways. Way. You need to be able to win in multiple ways because people are going to try to thwart ways and maybe they won't see that third way that you have to win and then that's how you win. They're thinking, oh, hey, direct land attack. He can go two spaces and attack this and get this. But what they didn't see was the sea attack from over here to here. Do you implement that? Sorry, I'm asking all the questions. But fine. <laughs> do you implement that same strategy in a lot of different games? The multi-prong kind of win? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. It's, you know, you gotta, you got to balance and have a lot of ways to, to end up winning. Like A lot of times, too, with uh, Lords of Waterdeep, it's that little subtle of, you know, having a couple quests there and I only need a couple things to complete multiples of them. And then it's a matter of, okay, they're going to try to block me on this, but now I can go get this and that completes this one. Ah. So allowing yourself... So you don't pigeonhole yourself. I try not to pigeonhole myself. I pigeonhole myself too. Yeah, me times. too. Yeah. I, I usually struggle to just come up with one strategy. <laughs> so Tim's like a, a backup to his backup strategy. <laughs> it's like chess, right? Think 80 moves ahead. Oh, man. You just mentioned the worst game ever designed. What about Risk? No, chess is worse than Risk. Chess, chess is, is not the worst game ever designed. I'll play Risk over chess. Uh, if we could get some dice and then integrate that into chess, how would that be? It'd be a completely different game. It would be. Yeah. They did combine. They have a game called For the Crown, which is combining deck building and chess. So yeah, I, I would just rather jump out this window behind me, <laughs> sixteen floors <laughs> yeah. straight to the pavement. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's that good. That's what I got. So I feel like we just got the upload, Chris. I know. Yeah, I just, I'm hoping that <laughs> in my brain. I, I already paid for my first mistake of completing the Metropolis the first uh, last game. So. Uh, I ignored my own rules at my own peril and got punished for it. So yep. it just shows that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I did that the first game I played, and I got attacked. I remember one game, Chris, I played some card, and I stole Chris's two philosophers from him, and it made him like re, like change his strategy, and then he ended up winning. I've never lost this game. Really? Yeah. It's his oh. bartering ability. No wonder you like I this game so much. This, this last game. game, he talked Chris Johnson out of doing what he wanted to do yeah. because – Chris wanted to do it, and then... But he convinced Chris Johnson convinced that it was Chris a good Johnson idea. Chris Johnson not to do it yeah. so that he could do it, and then that's what actually ultimately what let him win the game. See, here's the problem. I haven't played in a lot of games with Chris. I could maybe silver-tongue Chris Johnson might, into doing it Ryan instead. would be very this good true. at that. This is yeah, true. That's true. And diplomacy is part of this game. It is, but very much so. It's easy to go against that. If you see somebody doing well, this game is very cutthroat. Yes. Your point about not getting the first Metropolis is smart. 
if you get on people's radar, they will come after oh, you. Yeah. It's a very cutthroat game, so you have to be careful with what you're convincing people. You know, like kind of just build your civilization and lie low. Getting the cornucopia is a good idea. Yeah. And trying to take over those little triangles with the cornucopia is good, yes. too. Good stuff. Yep. I like it, Tim. Are you nervous at all that... Yeah, it might be... Uh, it's giving away your secrets? Might have to like uh, not play Cyclades for a little bit. <laughs> Until we forget. <laughs> well, I'm going to forget like in five minutes. So don't <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next segment. Next time we play Cyclades, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the gods. I'm not going to get Philosophers. I'm going to get the first Metropolis. And I'm not going to get Cornucopias. <laughs> oh, nice. I can guarantee. We'll see, see how well it goes. <laughs> so, just like always. All right. Well... Now that that has completed, we've all seen The Matrix, at least for one day. It's time to move on to our table talk. Table talk. You're listening to Out of Game, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Find this and other great podcasts at Dicetowernetwork.com. So, Tim just jacked out of The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone. He answered, Tim, the, he answered the phone and disappeared. He did. He answered the phone. The, the receiver just fell to the table and Tim disappeared. You know what happened is he just figured out how to exit without using the phone because it's Tim. They just, yeah. And we're just, looking for a phone booth still. Yeah. So <laughs> Tim had to go. He had a prior commitment. Yeah. So it's, you know, you're going to get a little old school out of game right now. Just Chris and I, me with the normal ideas and Chris with the bizarre ones. All talking about game stores. <laughs> so let me just explain what made me want to discuss this topic. There's a local game store uh, in the area, actually in Schaumburg, the town that we're recording in. And the owner of this store posted on Facebook. It was kind of a plea to the patrons of his store, basically asking them, what can I do to make you want to play board games in my store? That was basically the point of his post. Because this store, it's actually a very successful retail store because they sell games. Even though it's a local game store, they sell games for 30% off. So people, that's almost as good as discounts you get online. And in some cases, I can get games cheaper from his store than online. For example, Asmodee, who designed a policy for selling games that it's actually brick and mortar stores get a higher discount from distributors than the online retailers. So I can actually get some games cheaper at this guy's store than buying them online. So they're doing very well in the retail part. But what they're not, what he was saying they're not doing a good job at is actually facilitating board gamers actually wanting to spend time at the store playing games. And so it made me start thinking about myself. So me personally, I actually hate playing games in game stores. I would much rather play a game at my house or my friend's house than go to a game store. And so I'm looking at it from my perspective, like what could a game store do that would actually make me prefer to play games at the game store over playing them at my house. And it, it's kind of a tall order, I think. But I have some ideas that okay. I think some stores, some things that I would like to see stores do that would make them more appealing for board gamers to play games in their store. Okay, let's hear it. Did I set it up well? You set it up really well. Okay. Now, let's just talk about the elephant in the room, which is most game stores are designed to make money off of people who play Magic the Gathering. Everyone knows this. When you go into a majority of game stores, that's what you're going to see, right? You're going to see people <laughs> playing Magic the Gathering. The store is going to have rows of tables, you know, lined up next to each other to design for like draft night or whatever for people to sit down and play Magic. 
And and on the sides of the walls, there might be some racks of games. Now, actually, the store I'm talking about, that is the setup of the store, this local store. And usually, as a board gamer like myself, I'll walk into one of these stores, and it's like you hear the record squeak in the corner, like the music stops, <laughs> and you see all the heads turn towards you and all the neckbeards sway <laughs> the wind. <laughs> And you kind of just want to turn around and leave because you feel like you're not like you walked in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's a completely, it's just a different crowd of people. You're, it's like you're walking into a store that is for Magic the Gathering that happens to have some board games for sale. That's usually what you feel when you walk into a game store. So for me, that's the main reason I don't want to go to a game store. Before I even go any further, Chris, would you agree with my assessment of most game stores? I would. And I, I'm a little bit more of a crossover, I think, than you and maybe most of our listeners. I, I still love the game, Magic the Gathering, and I get why people congregate to play. And to be fair, I think a lot of the game stores are in business because of Magic the Gathering. Definitely. It's a huge cash cow. It's a game that people have to keep buying, unlike a board game, where you buy it and you just play it forever. You need to continually buy magic cards so and you know there is an appeal to playing at the one-on-one nature you know you can go play against other people go play against your friends play in little tournaments the games are fast mm-hmm. and the rules are relatively easy unless you have a, a you know the random rules question so i get why they're there but you're right it's a different crowd it's a little more intense of a crowd and a little more serious yeah and i get why you wouldn't fit in yeah and it's not even that but it's and i'm going to get into this later but you look around at the walls, there's going to be magic banners hanging everywhere. I've, I've almost never even seen like a board game related banner hanging anywhere in, a, in most game stores. Right. So that's kind of my image of, a, of most game stores. And that's not appealing to me to like get my friends together and go play games. So, so how wh- do they fix that though? Would it be adding additional rooms or additional tables? I have a lot of ideas, but there's a couple other things I want to talk about first. One of them being that most game stores charge full MSRP for board games. Now, I understand why they're doing this, because they want to actually make some money off the games and they think that this is the best way to do that. I actually beg to differ that this is the best way to make money off of games, because the store that that I'm talking about that sells games 30% off is going through a lot of inventory, (laughs) So that tells me that, yeah, they're selling at a lower price point with lower margins, but higher quantity. And I can't imagine that a game store selling games for full MSRP is making making more money than this store that's selling them for 30% off. I can't even imagine that because who's buying games from these stores? You're either going to buy games online or you're going to find somewhere that's selling the games at a discount. That's my, my personal opinion of buying games. You're going to buy them on Amazon or something. I think most of these game stores that are selling games at full MSRP are making all their money off magic, just like Chris said. So I guess I don't see the point. Well, there's no reason for them to lower the price if they're making their money on magic. I mean, lowering the price of board games to sell the one or two that you're going to sell in a day doesn't make sense. Well, my argument is if they lower the prices, they'll sell more and make more off the board games. Well, you don't just lower the prices. You have to let people know. It's like word of mouth and things like Like it's a long-term campaign to do that. Right. And I guess that gets into some of my other points. If there's board gamers frequenting, frequenting these stores and they have lower prices, that's how you get the word out. Wouldn't a better idea be for the board game store, the, the gaming stores to rent games so you can play while you're there? That is a good idea. And that's actually on my list okay. too. Because I think what these stores, I feel like the mindset of these stores should be, let's get as many board gamers into our store as we can. But they need to make money though. 
Right. But the more gamers you have coming into the store, the more they're going to purchase games, especially if, if you're providing them an environment where they want to come, come to your store. Yeah. You know, the flip side of that, I guess, is you just make the prices really low, like this store that in, in town here. If you make them low enough, people are just going to come to your store. They're going to buy games and leave. I think that's kind of what's yeah, happening. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any desire to play games in a game store just because their prices are lower. Right. It has to be something beyond that. Yeah. I agree, but I don't think they even need to be as low as online game stores because if they're giving you an environment to hang out, like an example would be like a coffee shop. Okay, I can make a fifty cent cup of coffee at my house. But I like to go to a coffee shop because there's like an environment there where I want to hang out. Same and, thing with a bar. Yeah. And you're yeah. willing to spend the money, yeah. right? So someone is wants to, if they want to hang out in your store, they're going to be more likely to want to buy something. And right. if you give them just a little bit of a discount, even like 10 to 15%, rather than charging full price, I think you're going to make a lot more off those people than keeping the games at full price. Yeah, I still think there's other ways to make that money. So there's a lot of games I don't own, but it would be fun to play. Mm -hmm. So going to a game store to play games that I don't own, you get that feeling like your coffee shop example or like the bar example where you could drink at home if you want, but you, you get into a more social situation. Maybe one idea is to have the game store offer to teach new games. Yep. So that would entice you to come in. That gives you a reason to come in. If the physical environment is nice, in other words, it's comfortable, you don't have like that negative magic energy, and there's a teaching element, there's a rent-a-game element where you're spending money. I don't think we're averse to spending money if we're going to enjoy ourselves for a couple hours. So we have money to spend. If they want, we can rent a game, maybe we like it and maybe we buy it. Right. You know, because it's already open, maybe they, that's the discounted game then. You know, something like that, that there's a draw there. Yep. Now, even renting games, I don't even think they need to do that unless you're renting the game and taking it home, I guess, uh, which I actually have emailed a game store to see if they would do something like this. Why wouldn't you rent a game? They, w they wouldn't do it because they said the the reason that they gave was there's too much likelihood of like important components being lost or whatever, oh, which would kind of ruin the game, which I don't know if I agree with because manufacturers replace that stuff for free. But what they could do is they could just have a, a library of games in their store that you can play. And a lot of game stores do this. And these retailers are getting these demo copies for free. They actually can get demo copies from the distributor for free. If they if you buy like a case of games, you know, you'll get a demo copy. But still, there's some stores that they still don't have a game library. So that's one of the things on my list is you should have a library of games. But I think... The important part of this is I don't want to feel pressured to buy a game just because I used a game in the game library. It has to it has to be an environment where I can feel completely comfortable walking in, grabbing a game from their library, playing it and leaving and not buying something. Not feeling pressured because if I'm going to feel Wouldn't pressured paying for that time take away the pressure? It would actually. That's a good point. Yeah. Like like board game cafes, they I think they charge a $5 fee. Yeah. I'd pay $5 cuz then you, you get to learn if you're going to like this game. Yeah. And then if you like it, guess what? They just made a sale because they have the game right there. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. If you if you just make a $5 entry fee to to use their library and sit down and play a game, that's completely reasonable. If you go to a convention, you're spending like $20 a day to use a game library. So $5 is nothing. And yeah, you're right. That completely removes that pressure you might feel internally to buy something because you already gave them five bucks yeah. and the game store is still making money at least they're making five bucks off 20 bucks from your table of four just for them coming into the store i think that's a good point but i think having the the game library there is super important for any game store 
that is wanting to sell games. You mentioned the decor. I don't understand why the decor of a store, even a store that has mostly people playing magic, why does it have to be like a cave? Couldn't they still set it up with, instead of having like a giant row of tables, like kind of individual tables in a different pattern where you have a little bit of space with people and it has nice decorations. I don't know, nicer flooring, clean bathrooms. The walls are painted. I guess I'm picturing when I mentioned a coffee shop, I'm kind of picturing like an environment like that. Why can't that be the environment for the people who are playing magic? Plus money. All that stuff costs money. And these guys, you know, they're running a business. You know, I think if there was more of an admission fee to something like that, then I think that those are reasonable things. But if we're going to play for free or for $5, it's asking a lot to have them beef up to like a Starbucks level, the gaming environment. I get that it would be better, but I think that's hard for them. I don't think they make a lot of money in these game stores, honestly. And that's more like a fun job than a make a lot of money job. Is that the cause or the effect, though? That's that's my question. Well, I think it would take innovation to fix it. Like you would have to get like a nice game room, comfortable with a separate table for games, separate from like little maybe smaller tables for food so that you don't spill, you don't have spillage issues. Make it so you feed people, you give people something to drink. You make it comfortable and fun. Just spoil them so they want to come back, but charge them for it. So now we're paying for this experience. I think people would do that. Yeah. But I think you have to give the game stores a chance to make money. Otherwise, they're not going to just make it comfortable out of the goodness of their hearts. Well, I agree. But it definitely has to... I'm not going to pay money to go hang out in a troll cave. So it has to be be kind of a trade-off. You make your store nicer, yeah, you charge a little, a flat fee for me to come hang out. But the point is, I want to go hang out there and I'm willing to pay that fee, which I'm not willing to do that. I would not be willing to pay a fee to hang out at most game stores right. I've seen. The only exception is the board game cafes, which I think these cafes have found a good model because the income in the store is being supplemented by selling food and drink. Right. Uh, but then there's a lot of added things you need there. For example, if you want to sell alcohol, you have to have a liquor license. Right. You have to have people cooking food. So you have to you have to have staff. You have to have waiters. They have people who just go around and their whole job is just to teach games. I mean, there's a lot of extra things you need to have at the store, but you've got people going in there sometimes just to eat or play board games. So you're not all of your money just isn't coming from magic. It's coming from this, probably some magic stuff too. But I have a feeling that this model is probably making a lot more money than I wonder the how much they make. Game I mean, store. How much does it cost to get to be there? I think it's five dollars, which is where the five dollar idea came from. It's a five dollar fee if you want to play games. If you don't want to play games, you just go there, but you're buying food because it's like the cafe. So you're buying something. You're not just sitting in there doing nothing. Right. So you're you're spending money. So I think they have a good model there, and I feel like if you take out the cafe part of it, at least you could have something people could buy, like snacks. And drinks. I think you need food. Yeah, some kind of... It, it has to be equal to what you could get at home. If it's not, you're still going to choose home. Yeah. So the food and drinks, I think, is a, is a must. You know what I've seen uh, places do before is they, they might like have a local restaurant in town where you could get catering. Mm-hmm. Or like they have a menu, like a special menu you can order from. And like at a certain point in the night, they'll bring in food. Yeah. Rio Grande does this at Gen Con. I don't know if you remember that. The room where we, we learned Kalis, yeah. certain points of the day, like food would be catered in. Yeah, that was something. That was awesome. And they're they're doing that completely like for free, yeah, which was kind of amazing. Yeah. And like you're getting like this nice buffet meal. But maybe something like that could work where you don't have to have a restaurant in your 
facility, you just have some arrangement with a with another restaurant to bring in food that people could order. That's actually even better in some ways than what we do at my house, which is we have to stop and then someone has to get everyone together and like order pizza. And it's kind of annoying. Whereas if you went into this place, you know, they just have menus around and when you're ready, you just tell them what you want to order. Good point. So, you know, that would be pretty appealing. Like I'd rather have like a nice meal from a restaurant than Domino's pizza. Right. In most cases, pizza's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's good, but (laughs) if you had other options, you might order something else. I think some obvious things. Well, okay. Here's one actually that gets on my nerves. I feel like if you're going to have this environment where people, where people are going to want to come hang out, you have to stay open late. And by late, I mean like midnight at the latest. I mean, I guess it could be later, but I hate how these some of these stores, they close at like nine o'clock. I don't know what it is, but people... <laughs> they want to go home. <laughs> I know they want to go home, but if they can make a lot of money between nine and midnight, which I think they could, especially on weekends when people are out looking for something to do, where are they going? Yeah. There's like nowhere to go except the bars. And there's a lot of people who don't like to go to bars. So it gives an other place that people could go hang out and do something besides a bar, kind of that late night time between nine and 12. And most people are having game nights you know, in the evening that are going to usually go until midnight. And it's hard to do that if you have to play in a game store that closes at nine o'clock. So now you got people getting off work on Friday and they want to go to game night or whatever night it is. And they only have like two hours to play games because the store is closing. So I think at least maybe just, even if it was just on weekends, these stores need to stay open later to facilitate people wanting to come in there and play games. I'm still thinking about it from the owner's point of view. I mean, I'm imagining owning one of these stores, and it's my Saturday, and it's 9 o'clock, and I, you know, stuff I want to do, but, you know, these gamers want to stay. I don't know what they're paying me between 9 and midnight, but you got to make it worth their while well, somehow. Well, I mean, if you're a store, you could hire a, a high schooler to work there at night. I mean, you don't have to be the That's owner true. working there. That's Plus, true. But, like, at a bar between 9 and midnight, you're spending a lot of money on drinks. Yeah. So, same with even if you're in a coffee shop, you're going to be spending money you need to spend money if you're going to be there because if you if you want to go and like play games for free between 9 and midnight it's a little it's asking a little much yeah. from these stores so i guess one idea i had is you could these stores could have special rooms like private rooms that you could rent out maybe like once a month our group of 10 all pitches in to rent out a nice room in the store where we can go like play a game together. I know a lot of these stores aren't big, but I guess I'm I'm kind of thinking of the bigger picture here. The idea is you have a better environment which facilitates you making more money, which allows you to have have a nicer store and have things like private rooms or like a bigger space. We can't constrain it to what we're seeing today which are these smaller stores and like weird strip malls. Yeah. You have to kind of think bigger picture. If they're making more money, how would they make more money? Well, they have to have, they do have to provide the environment. So maybe at first they're not, but I feel like by doing these things, the end goal is obviously to make more money. I think these are things that would make them more money than what they're making now. Yeah. I think your idea of having hiring help, you know, minimum wage help makes sense. You know, it allows you to stay open. I think you need the space though. The strip mall places, there's not a lot of room there. so And no one wants to go there, I <laughs> honestly. Know. I mean, location is important, right, where your store is. And I think, I just feel like what we're seeing today is more of an effect thing. It's the effect of not thinking outside the box. Yeah. So you're stuck with having a small store in a strip mall and just selling Magic the Gathering. Yeah, you're right. It takes a little out-of-the-box thinking. And I think you have to think a little bit 
like the way people who have made this work would think, like the bars. Mm-hmm. But the bars keep coming to mind because there there's tons of people there, and it's a little different of a crowd, obviously, than a gamer crowd. But what do they do? They and you, you might not like this idea, but they have like ladies' night or things like that. If you the the gaming industry is or you know the gamers is mostly male. I mean, there's a lot of girls that play, but if you had like girls play free or I mean, you see at Gen Con, some of the vendors will actually hire models to come out and promote their games. And you see it works. I mean, guys will gravitate like that. That will get people in stores, too. Yep. Having, you know, mixed company and more of a social experience like that. Even if the girls are just there to hang out and maybe play a pickup game or two with you. And I think you'd be surprised at how that would work. Yeah. I, think, I think that would have a draw, too. But it's got to be comfortable. I mean, your point about it being dungeony, there's no draw there. Right. I don't want to go out of my way to go to a place like that. If it was comfortable, well lit, you know, with nice seating and nice bathroom and some of these other amenities, you know, now I'm willing to get out of the house. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a game store owner today, I would be constantly thinking, what am I going to do if Wizards of the Coast goes out of business? <laughs> right? It's a problem. Yeah. I mean... I don't know how many stores would go out of would go out of business right with Wizards, but I think it would be a good majority of them. So you almost would have if you're a business owner, you have to be thinking like, what else can we do to make money so we we can plan for that eventuality? Which who knows if that would really ever happen, but it could happen, or people or some new game might come out, or I don't know, something could happen that Magic is no longer making them the money that it used to. Yeah. And I feel like that's what these store owners should be thinking about. So anything else you wanted to add? I covered kind of all my points, I think. But the main point I'm trying to make is if there is an environment that was appealing in this way, even if I have to pay a little bit, but I can I can get out of the house, people can come there. You know, one point that I want to make about this, there's some people that I would probably invite to game day, but I don't know them personally. So I'm having this at my house. It's kind of uncomfortable for me a little bit to invite strangers to my house, even though I'm, I, maybe I've met them through Facebook or like some connection that I have with them. And I actually have invited people I've never met. I do invite, I do invite them to my game days. They haven't come yet, probably for the same reason. If I'm a stranger to someone and they invite me to their game group at their house, I might feel a little uncomfortable going to some stranger's house. Right. A game store is a completely different thing. It's a public meeting place. Right. So that would be one, another reason like I would want to go to a game store to maybe have like a bigger game night or something like that. Yeah. Like a public place. You know, I'm not going to want to do that if it's like kind of one of these stores that I'm seeing today. So those are my ideas. I feel like if a store could adapt some of these ideas, even just starting with the decor of the store, it doesn't have to be like Starbucks level, but there's a lot of improvements that could be made that aren't necessarily up to like (laughs) Starbucks level. I think they would have to, I don't think they could just do it half baked though. They would have to go all out and put the investment in there. And then charge the money and just hope that it works. Because if you just go half-baked, you're still going to have that, uh, you know what, I'm just going to we'll just play in my house. It's cleaner. I've got food. You know, I've got comfortable couches, whatever, mm-hmm. versus some step up from a dungeon place. Yeah. I think you need to really make a nice gaming experience and just expect that people are willing to chip in for it. There's one thing I forgot to mention, which I think is critical you need to have staff at your store that are passionate about board games because most stores I go into, they don't have that. They have staff that are passionate about trading card games (laughs) and you ask them about a game and they don't know anything about it. They just have to look it up 
in the inventory. And that's sad because if you have staff in there that are enthusiastic, like if I worked at a game store, I guarantee I could sell board games to people. Mm-hmm. I'll be in game stores and I'll actually sell games to people for the owner just accidentally because they'll, they'll be looking at a game and I'll just like spew out all what I know about the game and how fun it is. This just happened. Esther and I were in like a Chicago supper. There was a game store there that I went in and there's some couple in there looking at games and they, they're kind of looking at Seven Wonders Duel, and I'm like, that's one of our favorite games. It's a really fun two-player game. My wife and I play it all the time, and, and, and they bought the game. They walked out of the store with the game. Store owner didn't say a word to me of thanks or anything. Yeah. He's standing right there when I'm selling someone his game at his Should store. giving you like 30% off or something. Right. Come on, man. Yeah. But he didn't say a thing to me. So I don't know. There's <laughs> something about these stores, they have a stigma. They're just I, not invested in board gaming. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Let us know what you guys think. If you have any other ideas, first of all, I want to know if the ideas that we had would make you want to go to a game store. And if not, what is it that we said that maybe we're wrong about? Or what are some ideas that you have? I honestly think that it could work, but someone would have to be willing to put in the money to try it. And I don't think a lot of people are I think it would work to too. I, I do. I mean, if you look at what we saw at Gen Con when we were at Gen Con way back when, you know, you see people really passionately enjoying themselves you know they're sitting in the round tables and there's like groups of people and it's kind of public and it's like it's different than the experience at home yeah and i think that a lot of the gaming crowd the one good thing is they're pretty successful financially so it's not like just as a whole i know i'm speaking in generalities that the gaming group has money to spend so we'd be willing to do that for a good time you know we drop a lot of money at gen con to go play games and it's a comfortable environment. It's fun. There's music playing. There's comfortable chairs. And if somebody set up a situation like that, I think people would pay. I think your point about charging a door fee is probably the critical point in this whole discussion. Yeah. And it's actually, it seems counterintuitive. I almost feel like just removing that level of pressure to buy something is, is like the most important thing. I, I really think that's a huge deterrent for people wanting to go into stores. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went and saw the new Star Trek movie. And I mean, what does that cost? Yeah. For for two hours, you, you could charge that same thing for two hours at a game store. You're going to have the same level of fun, right? you know, and, you know, you're there with your friends, you know, you're having a good time, sell food, just like they do at the movie theater. You, they can make money off that and they just need people to come. Yeah. I think that wraps up episode 27. 27. If you want to find out, well, if you want to go to our website, there's not really much to find out there. Go to outofgamepodcast.com. You can listen to our episodes there and get links to all of our social media and stuff. Uh, you can find us on BGG Guild 1990. There's a link to that from our webpage. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Stitcher at OOG Podcast. And you can email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. Chris, how can they send us a voicemail? Voicemail. Dial 40 OOG OOG 80. That's right. If you think there's an odd number in there, you will be wrong. No odd. That's how you remember it. For great games and amazing prices, you can shop at CoolStuffInc.com. And for more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to DiceTowerNetwork.com. Good night, everyone. Good night.
Didn't we just hear that his magic number, like in the recent yeah. past, was twenty-three? Whoa, go for it. Oh, these these are. I the... spilled my water, people. <laughs> That's how shocked it was. happened. This is because of these withheld games. Chris's hands. I was in fl- such shock. His hands went flailing to the left and right. His water just water went flying everywhere. <laughs> um, luckily, not on the equipment. <laughs>